We all make choices, right? We all make choices, and whether we want to admit it or not, often our choices make us. You know what I mean? We may think that our choices are harmless, but more often than not, our choices determine who we are. Our choices often set the course of our lives, and we often find ourselves looking back, wondering, if I had made another choice. <laughs> Our last time here in John's Gospel, we saw how Jesus was being taken by the Jews to be tried, and the Jews were hiding from the truth, seeking to have killed the very one who came to bear witness to the truth. They made choices. We also saw that Pilate was hiding from the truth, refusing to even care about the truth, ready to cave in to the wishes of the Jews, those Jewish authorities, just to save his own neck. And Pilate was making choices. And now we come to John chapter 18 and verse 39. Will you go there with me? John chapter 18 and verse 39 and following. And we're going to move into chapter 19 this morning as well. And there are critical choices being made in the passages that we're going to be looking at this morning. Critical choices being made here. We know that it was God's plan to send Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice for sinners, right? It was God's plan. It was part of His purpose in sending Jesus Christ to be crucified. And we have before us in the text some of the people who chose to put Jesus on the cross. When Jesus had spoken the truth to Pilate, remember last time we saw it, the reply he gave Jesus was one of disdain, almost disgust. He didn't care about the truth. He didn't wait around for Jesus' answer after After Jesus, with, with this retort, he, he was answering Jesus when Jesus asked him if he really wanted to know the truth. And with this answer to Jesus, with this retort, he said, what is truth? And then he turned on his heel and walked away. We pick up the storyline here. Verse 38 says, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. And then verse 39, follow along in your copy of God's Word. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. And verse 4 says, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus 
came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And in verse 12 it says, From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. Pilate was a man desperately looking for a way to be done with this problem of Jesus and the Jews. He had questioned the Jews, he had questioned Jesus, and he had determined that as far as he was concerned, this was an innocent man. But what he didn't want was to risk upsetting the Jews. He wanted to keep his job. He wanted to keep his authority. He enjoyed his power, and he wanted to keep it. And the growing anger of the people at his doorstep would bring him to a point of choosing. Would he set Jesus free and risk the anger of the Jews, or would he condemn an innocent man to death? What he should have done was release the innocent man. But he's trying to pacify the Jews, and he thinks he can make them happy, and he thinks he can gain the release of Jesus at the same time. So he comes to them with an idea, and that's where we picked up this morning 
in verse 39. Look at it again in verse 39 when he says, But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now evidently the Jewish people had a tradition. They they would traditionally release a prisoner at the Passover. So Pilate, he knows about their tradition. It's not his, it's their tradition. He offers this to them, this opportunity to set this innocent man, Jesus, free. Some Someone they were charging as an evildoer. Now it's an interesting proposition here because if they were to set Jesus free, as someone they're charging as an evildoer, it accomplishes two things, and this is what Pilate is thinking. Not only does he set an innocent man free, but they get to condemn him as someone who is guilty of doing wrong. It's one that would declare Jesus guilty of wrong while at the same time gaining his release, which was really what Pilate was hoping for. But Pilate had made a poor choice, hadn't he? Now it's not only the Jewish authorities who are waiting in the courtyard, but but now word has gotten around and a crowd has begun to form. And they'll have nothing of this quote-unquote king of the Jews. As Pilate had put it, foolishly poking fun at the Jews, their response in verse 40, as they cried out again, was, not this man. They wanted Barabbas. It was Jewish custom that it was the choice of the people. The people would choose whom they would release, and they were choosing Barabbas. Now the people would see Barabbas released. They would rather see him released and freed than Jesus, but even in this, they're being so foolish in themselves. They're making their own foolish choices. John doesn't go into it here. He doesn't give us a whole lot of detail about Barabbas other than telling us he was a robber, and that sounds fairly harmless to us. But in our terminology, we would have called him a terrorist. This was no harmless reformed petty thief. Matthew's gospel tells us of Barabbas, he was a notorious prisoner. While in Mark's gospel and Luke and Acts, we learned that he was an insurrectionist and a murderer. Obviously, this was one bad man. And this is who the Jewish authorities and the Jewish people would rather have released than Jesus. Now, that didn't quite go as Pilate had hoped. So as Matthew's gospel tells us, Matthew 27 and verse 22, he asked them in frustration, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Their answer They all said, let him be crucified. Now here in chapter 19 of John's gospel, we learn that in an attempt to appease the Jews, Pilate makes another poor choice and takes Jesus to have him flogged. Verse 1 simply says in John's words, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Again, the few details John shares don't really tell us how harsh and cruel this treatment was. Lest we understand what a flogging is, what a, what a scourging is, R.C. Sproul helps us with this when he says, 
the scourgings or floggings that the Roman government administered as part of its penal system were of three types. The first type was a kind of whipping that was painful but not debilitating. People who committed minor crimes were whipped. There was a second level, and that was more severe, and then a third level that was the most severe of all, but that type of scourging was not used until a prisoner was sentenced to execution. That third type was administered with a leather thong embedded with pieces of metal, and victims were scourged until their bones were laid bare and their entrails were exposed. The idea was to beat them half to death in order to hasten their expiration on the cross. John tells us, that the scourging that Jesus underwent happened before Pilate sentenced him to execution. But Matthew and Mark speak of the scourging happening much later in the process, just before Pilate delivered Jesus to the soldiers to be crucified. In all probability, says Sproul, there were two scourgings, the first being the lightest type. Perhaps this was a last-ditch effort by Pilate to satisfy the bloodlust of the crowd so that he could avoid having to condemn a man he had publicly declared to be innocent. But not only was the innocent man Jesus cruelly and brutally flogged, verses 2 and 3 reveal additional cruel treatment. Look at it again. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. R.C. Sproul again writes, The thorns that were woven together to make the crown were spikes that reached a length of 12 inches. Then the whole mass of thorns was shoved down on Jesus' head so that the thorns were driven into his temples, all for the sport of the soldiers. Mocking him further, they threw across his back a garment of the color of royalty, purple. Then they gave obeisance to him in their mockery, saying, Hail! king of the Jews, and took turns slapping him. The whole idea was to make Jesus look not like a king, but a court jester. And then look at verses 4 and 5. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. 
Pilate may have been thinking he'd appeal to the pity of the crowds by having Jesus flogged and mocked, but it didn't work, did it? Verse 6, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. So here's Pilate in frustration, telling the Jews to crucify Jesus themselves, which he knew they could not do. He's trying hard to get rid of this problem, trying hard to make them happy with him by flogging and mocking Jesus, but his choices are taking him where he does not want to go. All the while, here are the Jewish authorities, and here's the gathering crowd of Jews. The people have made their choice. They want Jesus crucified. And now they get to the heart of the matter. And their real problem with Jesus, in verse 7, look at it. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the Son of God. You see, it was Jesus' claim of being the Son of God that has the Jews out for blood. We actually heard this back when we studied in John chapter 5 and verse 18. It says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, Pilate was not a religious man. But he may have been just a bit superstitious because of the reason for the Jews' hatred toward Jesus. It brought fear to his heart. It scared him. Verse 8 said, we heard it in verse 8, when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. What are you afraid of, Pilate? Don't you have power? We don't know for sure what he was afraid of. It could have been that he was afraid of what the angry crowd might have done. But it's more likely here that he's beginning to wonder if there was more to Jesus than he could see. Was there more going on here than you could determine on the surface? Leon Morris says of this that the news that this prisoner had made divine claims scared the governor. He had possibly been affected by a message from his wife about a dream she had had. We see it in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 27. He goes on to say, And every Roman of that day knew of stories of the gods or their offspring appearing in human guise. He had plainly been impressed by Jesus as he talked with him. Now that he hears of the possibility of the supernatural, he is profoundly affected. Pilate, fearful? Yes, fearful that Jesus just might be more than a man. And so he returns to where Jesus is inside, and he's asking him, according to verse 9, where are you from? Where did you come from? What's going on here is the idea, but Jesus gave him no answer. So frustrated, Pilate says to Jesus, look at verse 10, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? In other words, Pilate says, how dare you not speak to me? Don't you know who I am? Gracious Jesus doesn't say, don't you know who I am? Pilate is impressed with his own power. 
and thinks Jesus should be too, especially with his ability to either condemn him to death or free him. But Pilate is also blinded by his own power. His power is affecting his choices. He does not want to lose his power. But Jesus knew all about Pilate's power, didn't he? Or lack thereof. Verse 11, Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And maybe to make Pilate feel like he's not out alone on this, the rest of verse 11, Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You think you're powerful, but you don't know the half of it. In the final words of Jesus to him, he makes it clear to Pilate that the only authority he really has is, is given him by God. It's divinely granted authority. Jesus also points out that the one who sent him to Pilate is the one who's guilty of a greater sin. It's likely Jesus means Caiaphas here. You might think Judas, but Judas didn't actually send him to Pilate. Judas actually had a part. He was a tool. At this point, Pilate is at a loss. He was at a real loss for what to do, and he's frustrated so he tries again to have Jesus released. He's trying. He's asking, look, don't you want to release this innocent man? And verse 12 says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. This man is trying to make himself a king. You can't side with him or you won't be Caesar's friend any longer. Now these words of the Jews bring Pilate to a final choice, don't they? All of his former choices had led to this one, and he cannot turn back now. He's dug a deeper and deeper pit, and he forgot to bring the ladder. The mention of Caesar removed any concern Pilate may have had for condemning an innocent man. Pilate feared more being counted as an enemy of Caesar. He's worried about his own skin, his own neck. And so verses 13 and 14, So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. Pilate mockingly with a sneer in his voice chooses the fear of man over the fear of God. He may sound tough, but he is weak. And he follows his fear. He does not have any fear for God. He fears people. He sides with the people. And also chooses, possibly in frustration and anger, to provoke them by saying of Jesus to them, Behold your king. Of course, Pilate didn't believe Jesus to be a king, but it is kind of ironic, and I think that's why John shares it, that here's Pilate, the clueless one. All he knows is that this man is innocent, 
And yet, he wants to make the Jews happy and the Jewish authorities happy. All the while, he calls this man the king, not realizing, not understanding how true it is. He is the king of kings. Of course, using this kind of terminology of Jesus angers the Jews. And so in verse 15, we find they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? There he goes again. Just a little barb, a little dig. Making fun of them again, the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Oh yeah, Caesar. And with that reminder, Pilate, says verse 16, delivered him over to them to be crucified. So having failed to gain freedom for Jesus, and at the risk of being considered a failure in his duty to Caesar, an enemy of Caesar, no other choice remains for him than to deliver Jesus over to be crucified. All of these choices, like dominoes, it's amazing and sad where a few seemingly harmless choices will lead, isn't it? Throughout this exchange between Jesus and Pilate, the Jews, the Jewish authorities, there's plenty of opportunity for Pilate to do the right thing. There's plenty of opportunity for Pilate to put on the brakes and stick it in reverse. But he eventually gets to a point where he cannot go back. There's even plenty of opportunity for Pilate to believe in who Jesus is. And he refuses. Now we know, we know, don't we, that this was all a part of God's plan. We see the foolish choices of sinful man, and, and yet we know God is using those sinful choices this is all a part of God's plan to have his own son punished for the sins of many. But it's clear also that God often uses the sinful choices of mankind to accomplish his purposes. So powerful is God when man is baffled. and We, we can't understand the sinful choices of, of evil and sinful man. God takes them and uses them to accomplish his purposes. Pilate's choices were evil. Yes? Evil. The people's choices were evil. But God meant them for good. Our good. Jesus was cruelly treated, delivered over to death that, that he might have the privilege of suffering for our sins, that He might deliver over for us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. They meant evil. God made it good. Oh yes, they sinned, and they would answer to God for their sins, but He took their sins and He turned them to good purposes. So when it comes to making choices, when it comes to making choices, think about your own life. I mean, I think that's where God wants us this morning to stop and see where our choices could possibly take us. 
one innocent choice without thought for what God would want, for without thought for what, what, what would please God. When it comes to making choices, choices that honor God or go with the world, which will you make? Will you side with Christ? Will you side with God's word? Or will you side with the world? Will you choose faith in Christ? Will you choose obedience to his word? Or will you choose to believe your personal power of choice? I can make a choice. I can do whatever I want. Well, there's a measure of truth to that. But will you choose to believe that you have this personal power of choice which will lead you to freedom and contentment apart from Christ and his word, which is a dark, dangerous, and according to God's word, is a broad path to destruction? Or will you make the right choices? Will you choose to honor God with your life no matter what the world says, no matter what the majority around you says? Will you choose to honor him Right and wrong choices. They're ours to make. They're ours to make. I pray you'll make the right choices. I pray you'll follow Christ. I'll pray you'll be guided by his word. The choice is yours.